Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on this morning in the Gospel of John. We just have a few weeks left, and we're almost done here. I think I was, I was looking how many there were. It's about 40, 47 weeks when we're done to get through it. But uh, we went through every verse, verse by verse. We didn't skip any of the hard parts. Um, last week, as uh, Pastor Joseph was ministering, we, we finished with, with Jesus dying on the cross. Then he got buried in a brand new tomb, and then a large stone was rolled over the entrance. And it seemed like the end for the disciples at this point. Their leader and their friend had just been killed, and any hope that they had was now crushed. But we know the rest of the story, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for that we have the great privilege and opportunity to come together, study your word, to be in your presence as a congregation without fear, without worry of persecution, imprisonment, or death. Father, I, I just am so grateful for that, and I pray that we never take it for granted. Lord, open the eyes of our heart this morning, the eyes of our understanding, so that we would receive what you have for us this morning. Lord, we don't want to leave the same way we came in. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to look more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we know the rest of the story, right? We know that Jesus' death wasn't the end. But at this point, the the disciples didn't know that. They should have. (laughs) They've been told by Jesus multiple times. But as far as they were concerned, they, they thought it was the end. Their hopes had been crushed. But the reality is, is what is about to happen becomes the foundation of our Christian faith. This is what Paul says about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the reality is, is if the resurrection didn't happen, there is no Christianity. Matter of fact, if, if you wanted to end Christianity, all you have to do is produce the body of Jesus. That effectively stops it in its tracks. But the good news is, is that the resurrection did happen. And there's really a large body of evidence that we can look at that supports the reality and the trustworthiness and the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a a well-guarded tomb that was sealed with a large stone and then sealed by the Roman seal that was now open and Jesus was gone. Hundreds of people saw Jesus after his death and his subsequent resurrection. We see a group of believers who who went from being just crushed and and destroyed any hope that they had gone, transform overnight into radical and passionate believers for the sake of the gospel. They gave their lives. So Christian, we are not a people to be pitied because Jesus did rise from the dead so that not only did we have forgiveness of sins in his death, but we have newness of life with him when he rose again because Jesus was victorious over the grave. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and get started. 
In John 20, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Every time John writes this, the one that that Jesus loved, I can't tell if he's being um, a little bit shy. He doesn't want to put his name in his own gospel, or if he's bragging. I'm not really sure which way that that's going. But uh, more than likely, whenever you see the one whom Jesus loved, it's referring to John. So Saturday has come and gone. On Sunday, when the, when the ladies show up, the tomb is empty. If you've ever wondered why Christianity has transitioned to meeting on Sunday, this is likely the catalyst. We see in the Gospels, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, we see in the New Testament that, the, that the, the first day of the week actually ends up being when the church started gathering. It's not something we've made up in recent history. From the beginning, they started gathering on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. We see it again in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so, also, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. This idea of Christians meeting on the, the first day of the week is well established and started right in the beginning of the early church. The reason why we moved away from the Sabbath is because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we see that he rose again, and that's when, uh, this is when you see the transition from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. And now we have in, in, in John's account, Mary Magdalene is the, is the first one to make it to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene, she's one of several women that were present and watched Jesus' crucifixion. John 19, 25, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She remained after he was crucified to see where he was buried. In Matthew 27, 61, it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So she knew where Jesus was buried. And then she was an early follower of Jesus who traveled with him and helped Jesus financially. And Jesus had actually cast seven demons out of her. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided, them, provided for them out of their means. So we find out that, that Mary Magdalene has been with Jesus for a long time. She supported him. She's followed him. She was there at his crucifixion. She was there when he was buried. She was one of the ones that probably helped getting ready for burial. Remember uh, all the, the 75 pounds of uh, spices were brought and he had to be prepared. So she was probably there during that. 
In the other gospel accounts, we find out that she's actually not alone. I don't know why John just mentioned her, but we see that she was joined by Mary, the mother of James and Salome, and possibly other women as well. They're all, they all were making their way to the tomb. And Mark says, if you read the gospel of Mark, Mark says that as they were walking towards the tomb, they begin discussing with themselves who is going to roll the stone away. You see, they were, they were making their way to Jesus this morning because they were wanting to finish the burial preparation. When Jesus was taking off the cross, because it was, uh, the Sabbath was about to start that, that Friday when he was on the cross, or maybe Thursday, depends on how you reconcile time between the different Gospels. <laughs> and, uh, that's a whole study in itself. I actually want to do someday. But at any rate, uh, Sabbath, the Sabbath was about to start. And uh, they had to, to remove him from the cross to get him ready to be buried. And in case you're wondering in your head, how could it be Thursday, the Sabbath, and Saturday? It was a high Sabbath. It was probably a hol- one of the, the Jewish holidays, which may have fell on a, on a Friday instead of a Saturday. Anyway, like I said, I want to study it still. But in case you're wondering how that may have played out. Anyway, they had to get him off the cross because he needed to be buried because they couldn't do any work on the high Sabbath. And they probably only had a couple of hours to prepare him. And they had to go ahead and wrap him in the, uh, anoint his body with oil, put him in the spices, wrap him with the burial cloth and get him ready. And, and they only had a couple of hours, so they probably didn't have enough time to finish, which is why they were heading back this morning to finish up the preparation. And they're, they're concerned, how are we going to get this, this stone rolled away? You know, it's not like it was on hinges. It wasn't a light wooden door. This was a massive round stone that would have been in a groove that probably rolled downhill to make it easier to roll this thing down. The women would not have been able to get the stone out of the way, so they knew they were going to need help. But when they get there, they find that they don't have to move it at all because the stone has already been rolled away. But when they look inside, Jesus was gone. So she and the other women, they run to go tell Peter and, and John what happened. They go to tell him that what they found that Jesus was missing and they were convinced that somebody had stolen Jesus' body. I mean, that's the, the obvious assumption. He was dead. He didn't just get up and walk away on his own, at least if you're thinking from a natural mindset, right? So somebody must have stolen his body. But see, now we're already starting to see the evidence for the trustworthiness, the truthfulness, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, first we have this story of women being recorded as the first person to meet Jesus. And we're, we're going to, after his resurrection, we're going to see that here in a few verses. But the women show up and, and we find out that the the, the first person Jesus shows himself to is actually Mary Magdalene. And in these days, um, as you guys are probably well aware, women didn't enjoy the same equality with men that they do today. And it would have been crazy if some Jewish men were writing this story, making up the story of the resurrection. They wouldn't have given that honor to a woman. They would have been wanting to puff themselves up and say that, no, we, we met Jesus the first time. The fact that this is recorded as, as being, uh, him being women first is actually evidence that the story that is being written is true. 
You know, there's many arguments that people will make today and throughout history of why Jesus wasn't in the tomb. And I, I'm going to share a few of these with these of these share a few of these with you today because I want you to see how these arguments just don't hold up, but actually help to strengthen the historicity of the resurrection. Some say that Jesus didn't really die. He just fainted on the cross. It's called the swoon theory. He swooned on the cross. Here's the thing. When Jesus died, they, Pilate was actually surprised that he was already dead. Do you guys remember that? He couldn't believe he was already dead, so he sent the Roman soldiers to check to make sure that he was dead. The Roman soldiers were good at what they did. They knew how to tell if somebody was dead. Matter of fact, we find out they stabbed him in the side just to make sure. The reality is, is that Jesus, there's, there's no way that Jesus just swooned because these Roman soldiers weren't idiots. They were good at their job. In addition, after they pulled him from the cross, he was prepared, his body was prepared for burial with 75 pounds of spices. Now, every time I hear this, this number of, of spices, like I think to myself, have you guys ever been to the store and you pick up one of those little packets of spices? They're, they're, I think they're like negative weight. <laughs> How much spices is 75 pounds of spices? That is not an insignificant amount of spices to wrap a body in. In addition, like I said, they acted quickly. They only had a couple hours probably to perform the burial rites to get him ready. And they're working on preparing him the best they can. Don't you think they would have noticed if Jesus was still alive? But no, he's wrapped up in 75 pounds. That's a, maybe somebody can, can explain to me someday how, many, how much spices that is. In, in my head, like that's just, he's got to be encased in this stuff, Right? But I think they would have noticed. And then I already mentioned this stone door is incredibly heavy. It's in a downward sloping groove. It's going to roll in front of it. You know, it, for Jesus to somehow make his way out of that, for Jesus to be able to push that stone door open would be impossible if he had swooned because he was still weak. He'd been tortured on the cross. We, we talked about a couple weeks ago what that looks like, the, the whipping, the scourging that had happened. He had lost a lot of blood. Um, he may have even been disemboweled. I mean, he was not in a good position. His survival was pretty much impossible an impossibility. There's no way that Jesus was not alive. If you just think about it for a second, you have to come to the conclusion that the swoon theory is just ridiculous. There's no way that Jesus somehow woke up and made his way out of that tomb of his own accord, at least from men's perspective, a natural perspective. One of the other arguments that's just as silly is that someone showed up and stole his body. The disciples showed up and stole his body. There's a, uh, I tried to get it for today. I couldn't get it downloaded. But uh, look on, on YouTube. There's a video by the Babylon Bee that's called How Atheists Think Christianity Started. It's hilarious. It's got the 11 disciples around, around a fire. And Peter's like, guys, guys, I got an idea. Let's go to the tomb 
and steal Jesus' body. And John's like, okay, I'm following you. That's good. But what are we going to get out of it? He's like, no, get this. You're going to love it. We're going to steal his body, and we're going to tell everybody he rose from the dead. He's like, okay, okay, good. Now, what's next? Then we're all going to be brutally murdered. And the whole crowd goes, yeah. And he's like, no, no, wait a minute. Why would we, why would we do that? He's like, no, no, you're not hearing me. We can tell everybody that he rose from the dead. He's like, okay, then we're going to get fame and fortune. No, 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 we're not going to get anything. We're all going to be brutally murdered. And we'll be, have our character assassinated in shame for the rest of our life. Look it up. It's hilarious. But this idea that this is how the disciples came up with this clever plan to be rich and famous that actually just ended up with them just being all murdered. All of the disciples, except for John, um, traditionally have been considered martyred for the faith. And then John was left on a deserted island. That's not the kind of outcome you're, you're hoping for when you just make up a story to somehow enrich yourself. But they think that, uh, yeah, maybe the disciples stole his body. So the, when this happened, the, the Jews are concerned because Jesus had been saying that he was going to rise from the dead. And they went to Pilate and said, listen, if, he, if the disciples steal his body, then uh, it's going to be worse than when he was alive if, if they somehow say that he rose from the dead. So Pilate gave them a, a bunch of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. And then there was a seal put over the tomb. So that if anybody were to break that seal to open the tomb, then they would actually be under the, uh, the, the full weight of Roman law. They, they would have been, been put to death for breaking that seal. In addition, Roman soldiers, um, the penalty for sleeping on duty was death. And these are trained soldiers. A bunch of fishermen and tax collectors are not going to be able to overwhelm them. So this idea that somehow the disciples made it past these well-trained guards and a sealed tomb and moved this thing out of the way just to steal Jesus' body to kick off this whole idea that Jesus rose from the dead is just a ridiculous proposition if you think about it. Matter of fact, the Gospels actually read the Jews went to the Roman soldiers and said, you know what, just tell everybody you fell asleep. So that if anybody asks, and we'll try to protect you from, from the, the Roman government. But like I said, Roman soldiers didn't fall asleep on the job because that was, that was punishable by death. But here's the thing. Against all natural odds, the, the tomb is empty. You see, all of these things, when you look at the arguments, are just kind of silly. They all actually strengthen the idea, the evidence for the reality that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. You can look at other secular writers of the time. They wrote about Jesus. The fact that Jesus lived and then died on a cross and was crucified is one of the most well-attested historical facts in the history of the world. Everybody agrees that he lived and he died. If anybody says, oh, no, he was a myth, he never lived, they're just crazy. Like, historically, all historians agree that Jesus lived and he died. And if you look at his uh, historical writings of the time, at, at, you know, we can't prove that Jesus rose from the dead, but we do see that, that um, the writers of the time said that, that these men believed that he rose from the dead, and it changed who they were, and they began to change the world. We see evidence for this happening. So while we don't have a picture or a video of it, 
all the historical evidence points to the reality that Jesus did rise from the dead. When people want to say that you believe in fairy tales or that there's, you just have blind faith, it's ridiculous. It's not. There's tons of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even more evidence is the fact that these men who were broken, who just days before had scattered, some of them even denying they ever knew Jesus, went from that to all of a sudden being willing to give their lives for the gospel. Because here's the thing, people don't, don't die for stuff, for lies. The best you can say is that they believed a lie. But if they don't believe what they're saying, like if this was the apostles just making it up, the disciples making it up, nobody dies for a lie. The, the worst you could say is that they believed in a lie. The reality is, is they believed Jesus rose from the dead. They weren't making it up. This wasn't some idea. They gave their life because they believed in this. Because people aren't willing to die for a lie. But they are willing to die for the truth. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's keep going. <clears throat> Verses 3 through 5, it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. So after hearing that Jesus' body was stolen, that it was gone, these two disciples, John and, and Peter, they start heading towards the tomb. They probably didn't believe what the ladies were saying, or at least they wanted to see what that was going on for themselves. So they start taking off bolting for the tomb. Now John, probably a little bit younger, a little more youthful than Peter, he gets up, he gets up ahead. He runs faster than John and he gets there, or than Peter. And when he gets there, he doesn't go in, but he, he takes a peek inside to see what's going on, to see if what the lady said was true. And when he did, he saw that Jesus' body was missing. Just linen clothes were laying there. These linen cloths that they're talking about is the burial cloth that would have been wrapped around Jesus as he was laid in the tomb. And then after that, in verse 6 through 7, it says, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So the old man finally catches up to John, gets to the tomb, and he doesn't stop to wait. He goes right in to look at what's going on, and he, he sees the linen cloth just lying there where Jesus would have been laid, but he notices something interesting about them. But when he sees the cloths, I imagine he had all kinds of things running through his head. Why would somebody steal Jesus' body? Like, what would be the purpose of that? If somebody was going to steal his body, why would they unwrap it first and just leave the, the, the linen cloths there? But then he notices something interesting. He notices the position of the cloth. You see, when, when it happened, the, the cloths weren't like somebody came in and, and unrolled Jesus' body and just left them in a pile in a heap. But no, they're, they're laying there in a specific formation. The, 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 head, the, the head cloth, the face cloth, is actually lying by itself. It's not laying on top of the other cloths. There's, there's something interesting going on about how the cloths are laying in there this particular way. And then in verse 8, it says, The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in 
and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. So after Peter makes his way in, John follows. And after he can see the situation more clearly, it says something interesting. It says, he believed. Why do you think him going into the tomb made him believe? Do you think it was just being empty? I think what happened is, is he saw those linen cloths there and it clicked. Something clicked for him. He, he said, wait a minute. Somebody didn't just come in and take Jesus. You see, he saw more clearly what happened and he began to believe. Jesus had been telling them that he had to die and, and rise again. But up until this point, it says here, they didn't understand from the scripture that he must rise from there. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying even though he said it over and over and over again. But it's funny. We look at him and say, why don't you guys see it? It's so obvious. But everything's obvious in hindsight. Amen. But when John looked in, something must have finally clicked. He saw something. And I think maybe he saw something with the way these linen cloths were left. I don't remember which book it is. If you ever want to look at some books that are, that are great for for apologetics and, and the evidence for, for the gospel, the evidence for Christ. There's a couple of good books. One of them is called The Case for Christ by uh, Lee Strobel, and then Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which is by Josh McCallum. Yeah. Both of those are fantastic books that really go through the evidence and demonstrate the trustworthiness and truthfulness of the gospel and Jesus and Christianity. But And I can't remember which one it was, but he, he began to talk about these burial cloths, these grave cloths that were there, and he said that, you know, when you looked at them, they weren't torn apart. They weren't tossed to the side. They weren't just in some big pile. They lay neatly folded with the face cloth separate from the rest of the cloths. So if you think about this, Jesus is laying where it is for the tomb, the burial cloths are across his body. The face cloth is on his face. And if, if he were to just disappear, the cloth would just fall straight down. The face cloth wouldn't be on top of the burial cloth. It would be up where his head was. The body looks like it was removed without disturbing the cloths. He just rose through them. And John must have noticed that these cloths weren't removed from Jesus but instead his body just rose from he saw something that made him believe and it started to click wait a minute Jesus wasn't stolen he rose from the dead it says he saw and he believed he finally got it he finally understood because here's the thing the the, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out it was to let the disciples and the rest of the world in to see that he was no longer there, that he rose again from, from the dead. So after they see this, this is interesting to me. It says, man, he looked in, they believed, and they just went home. <laughs> what a strange thing. But then again, I guess if you're them, like, you're starting to see these things click, you're starting to see it, like, you don't know what to do. <laughs> like, what else do you do? So they're probably confused. They're still trying to work it out. They're now starting to believe, but they just decided to go home. 
Now, what's interesting about this whole situation, though, is he says that, listen, they, they didn't put this together. They didn't understand the scripture until after he resurrected, right? This is more evidence that the disciples didn't just make up some story because they didn't even recognize the scripture that pointed to it until after he rose from the dead. They didn't know it before he rose from the dead. And in order to, to make this elaborate hoax, to make some sort of story, they would have kind of had to know it before they staged the fake resurrection, right? So this is just more evidence that the resurrection of Jesus was real because the disciples didn't get it till afterwards. They would be terrible at staging some sort of hoax if they didn't understand it beforehand. But apparently, when the disciples went home, they saw, at least John saw and he believed, but apparently he didn't tell Mary. So Mary, in verse 11 says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. So, oh. It seems that Mary had followed Peter and John back to the tomb after she told them where they had laid them. And she gets there and... and John goes in, and apparently he believes, and Peter and John, they just left. But she's sitting there. She's still weeping. I don't know if John didn't tell her, or, or it's obvious she didn't believe the same thing that John believed because she tells these, these angels, who she just thought was a couple of dudes there, she tells them that somebody stole Jesus. They, she, they stole my Lord. But when she looks up, she's standing there weak, weeping. She's crying for Jesus. She thinks somebody, She still thinks somebody stole him, right? She's still thinking something natural must have happened. And she looks up and she sees two men there at the tomb who are actually, John says, they're angels. Now, when you read the Scriptures, when, you, when it talks about angels in visions or in dreams, like angels are crazy. Like, they, they just look all kinds of weird. They have all kinds of eyes and wings and strange shapes. And, when, you know, we're going to get to heaven, and if, if you think angels are just white, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, people in white robes with wings and halos, you're going to be sadly mistaken. They, they take on all kinds of shapes and forms. But when angels are on the earth, they almost always take the form of men. So once again, she didn't look up and see a couple of dudes with halos in a white robe with wings. These were just a couple of men that were standing there. And they asked kind of a strange question. Woman, why are you weeping? She's in a graveyard. <laughs> why do they think she's weeping? Somebody, you know, has probably died. Can you imagine going to the, you know, the graveyard here in, in Tucson and see somebody crying at a grave and going, what are you crying for? But the thing is, is that they're, they're kind of trying to make a point to her. You see, she doesn't realize it, but Jesus isn't dead. They're, they're kind of trying to point out, like, why are you weeping? You have no reason to be crying. They're kind of foreshadowing about what's about to happen, so that, uh, about what's to come. 
They're making the point that she has no reason to be crying. But she didn't understand, so she just answers with her natural fear. She says, someone took my Lord, and I don't know where that they have laid him. You see, she still had no idea that Jesus had risen, and she's looking for a natural explanation. Somebody must have stolen Jesus. But then it says in verse 14 and 15, it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So she turns and she sees another man standing there. And this man also asked the weird question, (laughs) Why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And I don't know why she didn't recognize Jesus. It says that she doesn't recognize Jesus. She didn't know it was him, and I don't know why. It could be that it's possible that for, for a moment he had disguised his appearance. Maybe he didn't look like himself. It's possible that maybe just like in Luke 24 when Jesus walked with the two disciples, that scripture says their, their eyes were blinded while they walked with them. So maybe just for a brief moment... Her eyes were blinded and she, uh, from recognizing that it was Jesus. Or maybe it was something just as simple as she had been crying so much and her eyes were so full of tears that her vision was blurry. She didn't quite recognize it was him. Anybody ever cried like that? When you open your eyes, you got so much tears in front of your eyes, all you can see is a blurry mess. It's quite possible that's all it was. She was standing there weeping and crying. I don't know why she didn't recognize his voice. But at first, she doesn't know who he is. She assumes that maybe he's the gardener. And she says, hey, are you the one that took his body? Listen, if you took it, just tell me where it is so that I can go take care of him. That's all she wants is to honor her Lord. And she doesn't know yet, but also her Savior. She just wanted to honor him. She just wanted to make sure that he was buried properly. She just wanted to serve him. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. The interesting thing is, is she doesn't know it, but he's the one that took the body. He was using it still. He did have the body. So in verse 16... Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Jesus calls her name, and she finally recognizes him. You know, it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't first show himself to Pilate. Jesus didn't first show himself to the the Jews who had first gathered in Jerusalem to welcome him and then got persuaded by the religious leaders to cry out, crucify him. He didn't show himself to the religious leaders to say, hey, I told you so. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned with people that were opposing him. He 
He showed himself first to the people who loved him and put their trust in him. His goal wasn't to tell them, I told you so. Jesus revealed himself to his followers, those who believed in him. And like I said earlier, the most interesting fact is the first person he revealed himself to was a woman. You know, that's one of the other evidences that you can look at all of the, the New Testament and show that it has uh, trustworthiness to it is because it doesn't just record the good stuff. If you were writing a, a story about your life, or you were writing a, a, a story, you'd be wanting to put in the good stuff. I, I doubt you would put all your failures in there. You would just put your successes in. You said, no, I wouldn't do that. I, I would never do that. I would tell the truth. Well, I've seen your Instagram. I know you're lying. <laughs> you only put the good stuff up. You don't put the bad stuff up. But when you read the, 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 the New Testament, all the letters, you should answer it. I'll tell them that Jesus loves them. <laughs> just put it on speaker so they can hear the rest of it. It'll be good for them. Hallelujah. Um, no, now I totally lost where I was. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're writing a story about, um, about, about you, you would say the good stuff. But the, the New Testament letters, they, they put in the bad stuff. They show where Peter denied Jesus. They showed all the stuff that you would never share with other people. They were truthful about Jesus meeting a woman first. If I was, if I was one of the disciples and I was trying to write a, a good fancy story about myself, I would be the one that met Jesus. But the reality is, is that, that because he met a woman first, it just shows how trustworthy these documents are because it recorded the truth. Her first response to Jesus when she sees him, though, is to cling to him. I don't think that's a bad response. That should be your response every single day, to cling to Jesus. But in this instance, Jesus knew that he was here like this, just temporarily. Matter of fact, he's just in this form for 40 more days before he ascends to the Father. See, she may have not wanted to have let him go, because she feared losing him again. But he had to usher in a new relationship between him and his disciples. You see, before he ascends, he calls them friends. But now he's on his way to the Father where they're not just friends, they're brothers, they're family. They've been adopted in. They've been, they've been uh, grafted in because of what he's done. He's coming in to usher a completely new relationship with the disciples. Previously, he had called them friends, but now he calls them brothers. And he had to go so that he could send the Holy Spirit. So Mary Magdalene does what she's told. It says in verse 18, and this is where we're in today, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he, he had said these things to her. So Jesus went, or so, so Mary went and told the disciples that she had seen Jesus, that he wasn't dead, that he had actually risen. And John at least knew this to some degree, because it says he saw and he believed. But if you read the other Gospels, you'll know that what the disciples all ended up doing 
is locking themselves in a room, hiding from the Jews. He wasn't dead. He had risen. She had a message for them. I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. But like I said, unfortunately, they just weren't ready to believe yet. Instead of running out to meet Jesus, they hid behind closed doors. But the good news is, is they don't stay that way. We know that they end up going ahead and, and uh, meeting Jesus. Even doubting Thomas comes to believe and they become radicals for the gospel. Passionately sharing, even to the point of giving their life because they knew that Jesus had risen. The greatest event in the history of the world. Jesus rose in order to give us a new life and be made brand new. Amen?